Take ORFM Dunedin with you wherever you go with podcasts and streaming of primo local content. Download the accessmedia.nz app for free from Google Play and the Apple App Store. This program was first broadcast on ORFM Dunedin and made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Hello and welcome to Bringing Wellbeing to Life, the program that takes wellbeing research off the page and into our lives. I'm Dr. Denise Quinlan and today we're talking about cultural responsiveness in wellbeing and why that is such an integral part of wellbeing. My guest today is Dr. Tayab Rashid. He is a friend and colleague. Tayab originally hails from Lahore in Pakistan. He is of Muslim faith. He has lived and worked in the United States, and he's now a Canadian citizen. He lives and works with his family in Toronto. Tayab has worked with people all over the world, and so I think he is well-placed to talk to us about what it means to be able to respond to and include and understand the different perspectives that we bring from different cultures and how they impact on our well-being. Welcome. We're delighted to have you here today. Thank you. I, as Denise, you summarized my career from Lahore to um, to New Jersey, to Philadelphia, and Toronto. This whole journey has uh, given me this kind of a notion that uh, we are all, in some ways, migratory being. We migrate from place to place, um, just like uh, birds do from season to season. And we migrate because we want um, to find uh, ourselves, um, and we want we want to we want to find places um, which find us, uh, which feel like home. So, so, so I have several homes, um, and and but currently uh, Toronto is 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 my home. And what I've learned is uh, there is um, this beauty in every uh, aspect of, uh, in every culture, uh, and the way people express themselves. And uh, because uh, one, if I could uh, end your this, this question with one notion, what I've learned from being in different places, the cultures, uh, human cultures are dynamic. Every time I would say, you know, one specific culture has one attribute and uh, and it is, uh, it is sort of their uh, standout quality or uh, characteristic, uh, another person from that culture has broken that myth. So I think that uh, has opened me to be curious uh, about uh, individuals uh, within the cultures and between cultures. Um, the other thing, I, I think uh, the culture is important, but uh, I have been perhaps uh, just coincidentally more fortunate to work with people from different cultures who have with their interaction has taught me that uh, what are the common elements culture is a veneer under this veneer is our common humanity and the the very fact that you and I are sitting here and I have sat with the, with the 
marginalized youth in uh, Jersey City, um, in Park Slope, Brooklyn, in in um, uh, uh, Jane and Finch area of Toronto, uh, in Regent Park of Toronto, in 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 Lebanon with with the journalist with with nine eleven families, all of them have taught me the the com commonality of human beings and I, I i think that's the greatest lesson that i've i've learned and i'm still learning mm. and what do you see that commonality as that commonality is there is good in all of us so this really in a sense is the the overarching strategy for working across culture is to find the common humanity and connect with that Yes, and and I, I think it have almost uh, almost always worked for me. Um, uh, the only time if I have failed is my own impatience have failed me. And I guess pulling back a little, we know that why are we having a conversation about cultural responsiveness? It feels like a decade ago we might have been talking about well-being, but not about cultural responsiveness. And I think there is a growing understanding now that who we are and our cultural identity is part of who we are. And if we are in, in environments where that's not acknowledged or respected, it's very hard to have well-being. Absolutely. Because we understand the world in East through our cultural lens. Whether we like it or not, whether we want to assume or presume that we are very cosmopolitan and we live in, in an environment where culture has a, a little less role because things are becoming much more sort of in some ways stand rise it, you walk out of an airport uh, walk into an airport uh, in Dubai or in Los Angeles or in uh, Christchurch or in uh, Guangzhou China mm. uh, you see the same brands you see the same mm. stores so there is uh, some sort of uniformity is there but I think that is uh, that is again superficial uh, uh, uniformity Underneath our um, our being, find uh, much more solace when we are understood, and we are understood in our homes. Um, and our home, whether it be phys physical home or whether it be a metaphoric, a metaf uh, metaphorically speaking, a home where we feel home or cultural. Or religious homes. Or cultural yeah. religious homes. I guess I'm, I'm thinking, yesterday Tayab and I, um, along with others, visited the, um, the main mosque in Christchurch, here where we are. And when we enter the mosque, you're at home. And I'm looking for guidance from you, where to put my shoes, where to get robes if I need them, having a scarf on, which rooms it's appropriate for me to be in, all of those things. And so there are, there are cultural practices and norms that are like breathing to you because you've done them since you were a small boy. And so, and so in a sense, you were my guide. 
Yes, and and Denise, you will be my guide if I would enter, let's say, your spiritual home. Yeah. If I would go to church and I know I would not know where to. I would tell kneel, you when to kneel, when, when to, to kneel, sit, what to say, what to do, yeah. and what not to do. So I think, but we would do that through this common glue of being open. Mm. You were open to experience, and even uh, you're from different faith, from different ethnicity, and you may even feel that, oh my God, I'm entering a mosque uh, where some people, some eyes may uh, may presumably stare at me that um, she's one of them. Mm. So this this otherness uh, might have stopped you and many other people that uh, uh, that let's not do that. Let's let's stay in our cocoon. Uh, but fortunately, we have both you and I are the beneficiaries of uh, some of the common language of science and practice of well-being, and we know that when we have uh, strengths like open-mindedness, um, being curious. Um, we can uh, organically exercise and we then can support each other to so when you were asking me um, both verbally and non-verbally I could see the sense of curiosity and respect in you and then I used my let's say in some ways my strength of uh, uh, making you feel comfortable mm -hmm. and you being open so it's the it was a sort of a, a synchronous dance of strengths that 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 helped us to to be in the same uh, mm. place uh, a, a, a sacred place so i think one of the one important element of cultural responsiveness is um, being open and also find people or systems or processes which will help you to um, to navigate sometimes um, uh, places or or, or uh, uh, rituals uh, or gatherings or circles uh, which you may think may not welcome you. Mm. And so, a kind of we've talked about our shared humanity that that's a good place to start when we're embracing other cultures and I can you just mentioned um, curiosity and respect and probably they feel like two of the the meta strategies mm. you know whatever you're doing these are important um, tools to be equipped with to be able to engage successfully and helpfully with other cultures if you come in with curiosity and respect um, that's that's a that's a pretty helpful guide to to make your way in unknown territory. Yes, uh, nonetheless, those those are the opening. Those are the steps to enter the building. Mm. Uh, now we are entering and exiting buildings which are of different uh, sizes and of different compositions. So we need more sort of nuanced skills, a skill set uh, in order to make those space those places inclusive and and welcoming for everyone. I spoke recently with Nathan Rickey um, from Christchurch who said um, he he was amazed by the, the impact that it has in schools for Māori parents when they mm -hmm. come into the school and they see um, signs that signify Māori culture. Mm -hmm. They feel welcomed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, these are very simple visuals. When you enter those buildings, those signs, those signs are important because they make people uh, feel welcomed.
and uh, and those also the the other thing they do is that this place i belong to this place mm. denise one of the most important things in life is the sense of belonging when we lose that sense even in our own place where we were born or we place we we live in when we lose that sense I think that's a that's this this almost a cruel thing, mm. because we are we are part of a system, a greater ecological system. Absolutely, and I honestly, I sometimes I remember thinking about this one time that um, we we live in an age where we have millions and millions of people displaced involuntarily as refugees from their own homes. If you think back to the Middle Ages. The punishment worse than death was banishment. Banishment, yeah. yeah, exactly. So, so I think anything we can do uh, to, to make almost everyone, if not everyone, but almost everyone, feel having a sense of uh, belonging, that is, I think, uh, a fundamental. That's a that's a fundamental premise of cultural responsiveness. You're welcome and you belong here. You, you're welcome and you belong here. And then you can put different structures. Then you mm. can put pillars. Mm. Then you can put pillar doors. Then you can put windows. Mm. Then you can furnish the building. Mm. So if I was the principal of a school that had... Um, you know, I'm, I'm aware that a significant proportion of our community or a very small proportion of our community um, are of Islamic faith. Mm-hmm. What advice would you give to schools who want to be culturally responsive to Muslim communities? So um, one thing uh, very important to understand that uh, the Muslim is an umbrella term. That's why I said communities. Communities. Yeah. So there are many uh, Muslims come from many heterogeneous backgrounds, and those backgrounds, those those cultural backgrounds, are their ways of belonging, their places of belonging. So if uh, so, if just be if we can be just mindful that just being Muslim doesn't mean that everyone is same. A Muslim from North Africa is very might have very different cultural upbringing or cultural ways of being than a Muslim in from Bangladesh. Or Singapore. Or, or Singapore. Malaysia. Or Malaysia. So having that sense of uh, lens that there are different colors of a rainbow. There are different patterns in, in uh, but in a greater uh, different tiles in the different mosaic. Different tiles in the mosaic. Different pieces of the quilt. The one thing that keeps that quilt uh, integrated that cohesiveness is the faith, and those that faith is uh, almost uncompromised in in sense that you know in in, in the belief in God and the belief in the book and some uh, some re- religious practices. Um, beyond that, you can you can just be gently asked how is how. Um, uh, what is the what, what might be the parenting practices uh, in your culture? Um, because they may differ within the culture, within the religious mm-hmm. tradition. Mm-hmm. But uh, and in that overarching piece that is a shared faith, um, are there any any pieces about the faith that you would like schools to know to be aware of? 
Yes, I think I would like schools to be aware of a couple of things. One is there are certain elements of Muslim faith, of Islamic faith, which uh, are largely shared by majority. And uh, even though they may seem different or they may seem, uh, uh, some may even uh, find it not fitting into their conception of um, normal normality or uh, within the norms. Uh, for example, in most Muslim cultures, um, the f uh, the obligation towards family is very important. The agency is collective. Now. Yes, we have heard, we, we know from social sciences there's, uh, there are independent cultures there are um, in, in, in more, uh, focused more on personal agency, there are collectivist culture. But now we are also working towards a hybrid model. So, 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 so schools can need to understand that parents were born in another country but their children were born in New Zealand, in in Canada, in Singapore, in, in sometimes in Middle East. So they are navigating multiple cultural terrains. Yeah. There's a cultural milieu at home, which is largely maintained or controlled or managed by parents. And children not have much say in it. Oftentimes, but there's when they step out into school, they are part of a mainstream culture, so they're learning mainstream uh, ways of being, and this is where they are also making their peer relationships. They're identifying, they're making friendships. So, so, so understanding that these kids are, and this is a difficult challenge for them, because now they're shifting. There's a transition in uh, identity. Within a day, oh yeah. So, so understanding that you know, uh, sometimes uh, what made their behavior um, might look contradictory, uh, uh, it it is because of those transitions that are happening. So, so, so behaviorally demonstrating that. Second part, I also want to emphasize that um, uh, schools administrators, teachers, educators need to understand that uh, historically there are uh, historical barriers uh, for people of color, including Muslims. On, although we have made progress, but those barriers still exist. Uh, the experience of colonization has uh, left uh, sometimes, for some people, deep scars. Mm. And those scars are are transferred within the psyche of, of the child and uh, no matter how much we we celebrate through ceremonies through um, acknowledgement verbal acknowledgements uh, those scars are not going to go away unless we make concrete steps to uh, uh, to make sure that underrepresented, under uh, uh, privileged or marginalized communities uh, are given are are supported. So sometimes when you say that you know only merit, 
will be will be determined only the the uh, will be determined to get the job uh, while the 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 there's no equal opportunity for mm. everyone because of the the cultural differences because of the historical differences mm. that is the awareness that is the onus that i may want to put on the school admin that they need to take a step up and understand what might be the barriers that is if uh, if a parent from a somali family if a parent from a eritrean family is consistently not coming to the meetings what is the reason what's getting in the way what is getting in the way perhaps the mother is working at a night shift uh, perhaps father is still overseas perhaps there are some immigration issues so i think just being mindful of that and finding diverse way of communicating with the family uh, with the child will do tons we look denise i'm not suggesting that we can fix everything but we can be more aware. Mm. And and I always think they they um when we say you know well, what will work for them and how how will we find out there's a really simple solution and it's ask them. Ask them. Yeah. Yeah. And it's find one family that you can speak to who can be a reasonable conduit to say what are we getting wrong with school reports parent even why is no one coming? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah and, and the other thing is, uh, the coming back to our shared common human, humanity, if you put out in, in parent council through newsletter that uh, one particular family, with their permission or be keeping their dignity intact without identifying them, that one particular family needs some support in, let's say, uh, in, in language literacy, in cultural literacy, uh, I'm sure some parent will put up their uh, hands up. You know what? I will take them to a rugby game. Then we're learning each other. And the best way to diffuse, to mitigate a fear or a fear of unknown about each other is to make those connections. Mm-hmm. Um, when there is Ramadan, talking about Islamic families, Muslim families, when is Ramadan... Um, ask someone that how is uh, uh, what is the rituals of fastings more education more connection will do tons of good and we also and it goes bi-directionally I yesterday at the, at the mosque at the end of the presentation I said I was talking about look this as terrible as this tragedy has has uh, has happened has impacted all parts of the the uh, the Christchurch community the community has reached out to muslim community now it is also it will be nice that rather than um going back to our, our shells and be afraid we we create something new here there's an opportunity for mm-hmm. both sides we've spoken about um the importance for schools to understand the the central role of family mm-hmm. and that the sense of agency is collective that things are done together um, and the, the, the power is in being together. Uh, but I want to finish by thinking about the strengths of Islamic faith and Muslim mm-hmm. communities because we often think about differences rather than mm-hmm. what are unique strengths. And in the conversation that we've been having with people here, one of the things that I've really been aware of is um, the profoundly 
important role that faith has in being able to address challenge and to be resilient in the face of tragedy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's you know it's it's a very deep rock um, in people's lives that is is actually the single most important thing in helping them keep going mm-hmm. is their faith. So what if just for for people who are listening. What do you see as, when I ask you, what do you see as some of the strengths, the important strengths of the Islamic faith that, that you'd like people to know about? Uh, one of the things that I am, um, I admire, uh, not being, a, yes, it's a little bit biased, but I admire about um, Muslim communities across the world uh, living in um, secular societies is despite uh, living in sexual societies where um, where they have the opportunity uh, not to exercise religion because in some cases religion is forced upon. When they come out of their Islamic countries, they become more religious. Oftentimes, I would say, not always, but oftentimes, um, because now they're they feel that their identity as Muslim might, they may lose it. And that's why they are very sometimes a bit harsh to enforce that uh, upon their children. But the strength is to remain connected to the faith. Secondly, after 9-11, it's fair criticism that moderate voices haven't uh, been very vocal. Moderate voices doesn't need to be vocal. Moderate voices need to Act and they have acted in many ways. Um, so, if you look at the number of organizations uh, that have uh, came after 9/11 and after many tragedies like this within the Western countries to uh, educate uh, non-Muslims about Islam, I think that's that's admirable. And finally, let me also add on to that. Uh, the the strength of Muslim communities is also reli- uh, their resilience, but also their flexibility. Uh, we, you will find uh, in most countries, most Western countries, Muslim communities have very high uh, rate of literacy, very high professional accreditations, and working in professional field from doctors and lawyers. Um, uh, so they are contributing and also keeping the faith. So in some ways, they just look at their behavior, day in, day out behavior, by contributing to societies. So we are teachers, we are lawyers, we are musicians, we are artists. And parents. And we are parents. And we are working with people. So I think that is is a remarkable gift that the Muslim communities have brought, uh, brought to the West their flexibility and resilience and uh, and I think uh, if uh, if if media can be a bit more responsible and uh, not jump to conclusion very quickly and not say that oh every every bomb is by a, uh, the, by an Islamic terrorist and that will do tons of good Tayyab, thank you so much for your time today. It's been hugely helpful. I know the strategies that I'm taking away are, first of all, remembering to, you know, when we're working with people, not just from um, Islamic faiths, but 
any any culture, any communities mm-hmm. that are not known to us. It's connecting with our shared humanity, remembering the meta strategies of curiosity and respect, uh, going in and learning more about each other and going in with the appreciative lens of how can I learn more about the strengths of these people exactly. and what it is they have to contribute and, and the ways in which they are already contributing. And remember the last time, I will end on this point. Um, when we are experience, when we connect, we experience positive emotions. And research shows when we experience positive emotion, when you and I are connected and we experience positive emotion, the, the racial bias goes down. Lovely, lovely. Tayab, thank you so much for being with us today. It's my pleasure. And, and thank you so much for this opportunity. You've been listening to Bringing Wellbeing to Life on ORFM Dunedin. If you'd like to learn more, our book, The Educator's Guide to Whole School Wellbeing, is available from nziwr.co.nz from early 2020. You can also listen to a podcast of this show on oar.org.nz, on nziwr.co.nz, and you can also subscribe to Apple Podcasts. I'm Dr. Denise Quinlan. Thank you for listening. To learn more about the latest research and practice in school well-being, join us at the Wellbeing in Education Conference in Christchurch from the 2nd to the 4th of April and Auckland from the 6th to the 7th of April 2020. For more information, go to nziwr.co.nz or conference.co.nz forward slash WENZ20. Take ORFM Dunedin with you wherever you go with podcasts and streaming of primo local content. Download the accessmedia.nz app for free from Google Play and the Apple App Store. This program was first broadcast on ORFM Dunedin and made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air.